Hello, and welcome to the Clearfort Community Church Podcast. Our hope with this podcast is that you would be encouraged by the weekly teaching from God's Word, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. To learn more about Clearfort Community Church, go to clearfortchurch.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Clearfort Church. Now, let's jump into this week's message. Uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, it is Christmas. One more week for Christmas. We are officially a, uh, a church home now. We have our own Christmas ornament. So uh, that's been good. Been uh, good to celebrate with you this Christmas season. One more Sunday, next Sunday, before we uh, jump into Christmas the very next day. So this is a great time of year, isn't it? Uh, we're excited about all that God's doing here, our first Christmas together. And then in the new year, we'll start a, a new sermon series called The Journey. And we'll be talking about how to grow as a believer. In fact, this is going to be kind of a preview of that this morning in a way because we see how God has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then he, he gives us a purpose in this life, in growing in the Christian life together. And so I'd love for you to join us for that. We'll start that on January the 7th. I hope that you're practicing the Sabbath. We've been talking about Sabbath a little bit, and, and uh, man, it used to be that people took a day on Sunday to rest. In fact, God gives us that day to say, take 24 hours to sharpen the saw, as it says, and, and be ready for the rest of the week, but take a day of rest. So I pray that you would make Sunday a day where you're with God's people, that you're worshiping together with people, but then also you take a time just to rest, just to kick back and Man, if there's a day to have an excuse not to mow the grass, it is Sunday, right? It's, a, it's an excuse to say, hey, it's a time to rest. Did you hear what the pastor said? He said we need to rest on this day, right? So take advantage of those days, and, uh, and be, especially during the Christmas holidays, because it does get crazy, doesn't it? So we're talking about Advent, so we're in the third week of Advent. It's something that the church, the Big C Church, has been celebrating for thousands of years, uh, almost 1,500 years and it looks forward to the first birth of Christ, the first coming of Christ. It's preparing us for Christmas, but even more than that, it's preparing us for the second advent, the second coming of Christ. And so that's what we're doing with God with us. God with us, uh, if you'll turn on the back of your scripture sheet, you're going to see a couple of scriptures there. Isaiah 7:14. 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah says, unto you... Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And then in Matthew 1, 21 and 22, Matthew picks up on that and says, this is to fulfill what the prophet wrote about 700 years before, that the virgin would be with a child and he would give birth and you would call him Emmanuel, God with us. And God with us, literally that God lives within us, is the Christian hope that the Spirit of God lives within you and within me. So that's the sermon series that we're in, that God is with us, that unique to the Christian faith is that it's all about what God did to come to us, not what we have to do to get to God, right? So God with us, and we want to talk through Isaiah. We've been preaching through Isaiah, and we kind of have this previously in the book of Isaiah. So I want everybody to kind of be on the same page. Isaiah is writing between 740 and 680 BC, okay? He's writing during the divided kingdom. There's Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and uh, Israel in the north is conquered by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. 
And then the Babylonians come in and conquer uh, Israel in 586 B.C. And so Isaiah is riding in the midst of a, a broken nation and brokenness all around him. And the people are in mourning. The people are, are down and depressed about losing their land. Literally, think about this for a moment. If someone came in and took over America, you and I are living somewhere across the sea somewhere without our land, without our home, and we're in mourning, right? We're literally mourning the loss of everything that we had in our homeland. And that's the time period that, that Isaiah is writing in. But he also sees in the future... And that's where we get to the good news. He says he sees in the future there's going to be a time where the people of Israel will return back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And so he prophesies that that's going to happen. It literally happens in 538 B.C. The temple is completed in 515 B.C. And so he sees this time of rejoicing and God renewing the people of Israel. And that's what he's writing about this morning in Isaiah 61. So the prophecies... In Isaiah 61, they have an immediate meaning to those who were in exile, those who were living apart out of Jerusalem, out of their homeland. It had immediate meaning to them at the time. It had a future meaning in the coming of Jesus, the Messiah that would be to come. 700 years later, Jesus is born. And it has ultimate meaning in the sense that it is going to be fulfilled one day in the second coming of Christ. And so I've said this the last two weeks. Uh, prophecy in the Old Testament is kind of like looking at a mountain range, okay? It's like you're looking from afar, and you see these two mountains, and they look like they're very close together, right? They look like they could almost be right there together. But when you go up the first mountain, and you look over at the second mountain, you realize, man, that is a long way away. You see, the prophets in the Old Testament are looking ahead, and they're seeing the first coming of Christ, and they're seeing the second coming of Christ, and sometimes they write about both of them in the same chapter. And we're going to see that very vividly this morning, that it's also referring to the first coming and the second coming of Christ in Isaiah 61. So let's read together. Uh, pull out your sheet there. You're going to see that we have five different movements here. I've kind of broken them up in, in dark and light uh, scripture there. So follow along with me as we read the scripture and you'll see kind of the layout. You'll see the progression. I kind of want you to see how Isaiah has laid this out and what he's actually saying. So in the first verse, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, okay? Because the Lord has anointed me. The Lord has called me. He's called me. The Messiah is coming. And so this is referring to Jesus. So that's the first movement. And then he says, what, is, what has he been anointed for? He's been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. He's been anointed because he's been sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of, de of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. In the last movement here, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And I hope you can see the progression there. The, the, the Savior shows up on the scene. He calls these people out of darkness, out of captivity, and then he exchanges them. He 
He brings them new life. He, he brings an oil of gladness for despair. He begins to renew them from the inside out. And then he sets them up as oaks of righteousness and says, hey, look what I can do in people's lives. And then he sets them free to begin to rebuild and do some great things. And that's what God's called us to do. And so that's where we're going this morning. Would you pray with me as we, as we jump into this scripture? So as every Sunday morning, we, we really believe that when you come and you hear God's word and you engage with it, that it changes you and that it has the opportunity to, to send you out a new man or a new woman, that God can do a work in these 30 minutes that we have together and he can change us. So would you ask him to do that in your life right now? God, as we look at your word, we pray that you would bring new life. Make us different people as we move through this Christmas season, interact with our friends and our family. God, make us different for 2024. Prepare our hearts. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think about this morning... A time when you were overwhelmed with joy. Can you think of a time where you were just overwhelmed with joy? For us, it was probably my wedding day. I was just glad that someone would marry me. So I was overjoyed at that. And as you know, I, I definitely outpunted my coverage, right? So I was overjoyed at that, right? And then the, the next time would be, uh, well, it was a lot of times in between here, but the birth of our children was the next time that we were just overwhelmed with joy. Why? Because we'd been through six years of infertility. We'd been six years waiting to have children. And in 21 months, God gave us two children. And we were overjoyed at that. And we rejoiced at that. Some of you kind of heard the story about that. Another time was at the, the uh, salvation of our children. Then our ultimate uh, baptism of our children. Just overwhelmed with joy. And then there's been a number of times in between there. But think about a time when you were overwhelmed with joy. Usually it's a time after you've been through a very difficult season because what happens in that time is that the, 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 the hole is kind of dug, right? And, and you begin to go through these difficult times and you carve out this space where God is working in your life and you go through the difficulties and then when you're on the other side of the difficulties and then joy comes, it's like, man, all of that cavity is there that God fills with joy and you're overwhelmed now with joy because of the difficulty you've come from. And usually joy is, is, is preceded by difficult times. And that's exactly what's going on here in this scripture. So the message today is about the joy of freedom, the joy of being renewed and restored back to something, and the joy of finding purpose in your life. Having God's purpose in your life brings a sense of joy that God is using you in tremendous ways and he can and will use every person in this room to be about his business. And so let's look together at the first movement here. Uh, in the first, first verse there, it says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. The Lord has called me. God appointed his son Jesus as Messiah. And Jesus affirms that he is the fulfillment of this prophecy. So look with me in Luke chapter 4. It's at the bottom of your sheet there. So 
Jesus walks into the synagogue, okay? This is the inauguration of his ministry. He walks into the synagogue. He's a rabbi. They ask him to speak. And so he uh, pulls up the scroll, right? He doesn't Google it. He doesn't, he doesn't put it on the screen. He literally unfolds, un, un, unravels a, a scroll, and he turns to somewhat to Isaiah 61. Now, they didn't have the verses and the, the chapters and the books that we have, but he turns to what we now call Isaiah 61, and he reads it. And he said, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom, every time he would go into the synagogue, it was his custom to do that on the Sabbath because he kept the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Set, the liberty, set liberty to those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes, everybody's eyes were fixed on Jesus. Okay, what's he going to say? And he says, today that scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What is Jesus saying there? He says, in this day... What I just read to you that was written 700 years before has now been fulfilled. He's saying, I am the fulfillment. I am the Messiah. I am the one that you've been looking to come. I am the anointed one, and I have come to bring the Lord's favor, the year of the Lord's favor. Notice with me, if you would, where he stops. He stops at, and to bring the year of the Lord's favor, he does not read, and the day of vengeance of our God. Why didn't he read that part of Isaiah? He gets to the place where he says the, day, the, the year of the Lord's favor, he stops, he sits down. Why? Because the first coming of Christ is the day of the Lord's favor. It's a time when he's brought favor and grace, but there is going to be a day, and this is referring to the second coming of Christ. I told you sometimes in the same verses, it would be referring to the first coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ, Christ is coming back, not as a babe in a manger, not as a gentle, lowly servant, but as a mighty warrior. And he is going to bring vengeance on the world. He's going to judge the righteous and the unrighteous. He's going to bring evil to its knees, and he's going to eradicate evil. Now, that's good news, right? God is going to eradicate evil in our world. We're going to be in a whole different place where God has done business with evil, and he's going to eradicate it. So Jesus doesn't read that part of the Scripture, but he says, I've been anointed. I have been, I've been chosen by God to bring good news. And so let's look at the second part there. To proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim freedom. So he says, what I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you out of darkness. I'm bringing you out of captivity. I want you to see the progression here. He says, I have been anointed to, to preach good news, to bring good news to the poor, to those who are living in poverty, those who are living in poverty, maybe materially, but more importantly, spiritually. He's saying, I am bringing good news to you if you're living in poverty right now, the poverty of spirit, that there's good news. And he goes on, he says, hey, I've also come to bind up the brokenhearted. How many of you have broken something? Uh, guys, how many of you have broken something of your wife or broken your mother's stuff? And it just breaks and it's, it's in a gazillion pieces. You're like, oh my, what am I going to do here, right? I've got to get some super glue. I've got to get something to put all these pieces 
back together again. It never works, right? You never can find all the pieces. You can't get them all back together in the right way. But Jesus says, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. I've come to bring all those broken pieces back together again. All the things throughout your life, there's different things in your life that have brought pain and brokenness into your life. Some of those things you know about, some of those things you may not even know about that have brought brokenness. And, and so it brings, uh, brings you to a state that's not where God wants you to be. It's not God's best for you, but you've kind of lived with this brokenness over the years. And again, sometimes you know about it, you just ignore it, or you try to push it down, or you try to stuff it, or you try not to think about it. Other times you, you don't even know about the brokenness that's happened in your life. But Jesus said, I have come to bind up the broken heart, to bring all those pieces together, to bind them together, and to bring healing to your heart so that you can be all that I have created you to be. He came to preach good news to the poor. He came to bind up the broken heart. He came to proclaim freedom for the captive. So sometimes when we're living in poverty of spirit, when we're living in poverty and then we're living with brokenheartedness, what happens? We end up going into captivity. We begin to give ourselves over to things that take us captive and, and hold us and bind us. And he says, I've come to proclaim freedom for the captives. Sometimes in our uh, poverty and brokenheartedness, it leads us to a place of captivity. It could be alcohol. Could be pornography, it could be anger, it could be a lot of things that eventually over time that we've lived with so long, and then it becomes something that captivates us and, and binds us and, and holds us in prison. So he proclaims freedom for those who are held in captivity. And then he says, release from darkness, from solitary confinement. So it goes from poverty to brokenheartedness, to, hey, he's in prison. But not only is he or she in prison, now they've been tucked away. They're in darkness. They've been bound and they've been put away into solitary, solitary confinement, and they're totally in the dark. You know, that's exactly what happens in our life. We begin to dabble in sin, then that sin begins to take hold of us. Then, then it gets to a place where, man, it has hold of our whole life, and then it binds us, and then we get ashamed of that, so we back away from people. We begin to push away from people and, and we're ashamed of the way we're living. So we get into darkness. We get isolated from other people. We're not willing to share that with people. And that gets even more binding on our life. And so he releases from darkness those who are in solitary confinement. Then he says, he anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. A year of the Lord's favor. What he's saying there is that the Jews would have every 50 years... They would have what they call the year of Jubilee, a time in which all the debts were canceled. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like some of these people, I've got college debt. Like it would be nice. They're talking about that, right? Wouldn't it be nice if every 50 years you were released of all of your debts? Those who were in prison because they owed money, they were let free. The captives were gone. If, they, if people were in slavery, and most of the time people were in slavery because they couldn't pay their debts, they would sell themselves into slavery to pay off the debt and it says every 50 years, all of the slaves had to be let go. That's what Jesus came to do for you and for me, that he would set us free from the things that are, are holding us and binding us and breaking our hearts and things that are keeping us in poverty. That's what God wants to do for us. And then he says, 
He's anointed to proclaim a day of vengeance. I already mentioned that. There will be a day where right now we are, we are set free from the, the power of sin in our life, right? We're set free in Christ. We're set free from the power of sin over us. But one day we're going to be completely delivered, completely delivered from the presence of sin altogether. We'll be in an entirely different place apart from sin. And so Jesus came and anointed, he was anointed to proclaim those things to us. And then the third movement here is the Savior provides us restoration and recovery. So you see the picture here, okay? So he calls us out of darkness. He calls us out of prison. He calls us out of these places of poverty. And we're just there. We're, we're out, okay? We may be out of prison, but then he begins to do even more in our lives, not just releasing us from prison, but now he goes on from there. And I just want to say one more, um, one more thing about being in captivity. It says he came to proclaim the good news. He came to proclaim freedom. He came to release from darkness. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. But guess what? You and I have to participate in that, don't we? If God proclaims that you have freedom and yet you don't take hold of that, do you have freedom? Jesus came to give us grace. It says, by grace you save through faith and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. The, gra the grace of God is a gift to you, but if you leave it under the tree, do you really have the gift? God came to give it to you, but have you taken hold of it yet? And that's what I think he's saying here. I came to proclaim all those things. All those things are available to you. All those things are things that I came to do. And I proclaim them. Now, are you going to take hold of those things and take my hand and be led out of prison? Are you going to take my hand and be led out of poverty of spirit? Are you going to take my hand and allow me to do something in your life? And so as you take the hand of God and you, you are led out of prison, and now you're out, but you still got a little stinkiness on you, right? You've still been in prison. You still maybe haven't had a bath in many, many years. Maybe you're still living, you still have some of that on you. And now he says, we're going to go to the next level. Not only are you released from prison, but now I want to bring a crown of beauty where there used to be ashes. So he says, now I'm going to outfit you, right? Many movies about this where take it off the street and then, then done something in this woman's life or this man's life and takes them to a different place. And he says, that's what I want to do in your life. I want to give you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. I want to bring the oil of joy instead of mourning. I want to bring garments of praise versus a faint spirit and despair. So the Savior provides us for restoration and recovery, the joy of that. When you see God doing that in your life, I pray that you're seeing God do that in your life, bringing recovery and restoration to your life. It's the extreme makeover edition, the people edition. It's, it's a project that God is doing in your life. He is making you over. He wants to bring new life to your life. So the Savior proclaims the liberating message as we take his hand and we, we say, hey, lead me out of that. Then he wants to make us over. He wants to make us new people. He wants to bring us to a different place. Why? Verse 4, the, the, the next set of verses there, it says, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of of his splendor. So he goes on from there. Not only does he lead you out of prison, 
lead you to a different place, then do this extreme people makeover in your life. But now he says, I want to display you. I want to make you an oak of righteousness. The, the oak tree was always, it was always a, a sign of restoration. It was always a metaphor for strength and dignity and righteousness. He makes us strong and gives us dignity and honor. A large oak tree, it's not swayed by the wind. It's not something that, that when the wind comes, it's going to blow that big oak tree over. He wants to make you strong in your faith. And then he wants to put you on display and saying, hey, look what I can do. Not for your glory, but for his glory. And when people look at your life, they look at your marriage, they look at your parenting, they look at the things that you're doing in the life, they stand back in awe and like, hey, that's not the same person I knew back in the day. That's not the same person that was in prison three or four years ago, maybe literally or maybe figuratively in an addiction of some kind. That's not the same person. What happened to you? And then you're on display to say, hey, God has done a work in my life. He's made me an oak of righteousness, not because I'm a good person, not because of anything that I've done, but because totally of what Christ has done in my life, because the Messiah came to proclaim those things. He became to, came to do those things in our life if we allow, them, allow him to do that. So Gerda Wiseman was a 15-year-old Jewish young lady and she was uh, in Poland when Germany invaded uh, Poland in 1939. She was 15 years old. She was taken captive by the Nazis. She was taken on uh, what they call the, the death march, the thousand-mile death march with other women. 1,300 women, I think they said, uh, 1,500 women, 350 of them survived. And Gerda Wiseman was one of those. I want you to watch her story. Her, her book is called All But My Life, and the documentary is called One Survivor Remembers. And so watch this video with me. My very clear um, view of, of freedom and liberation came that morning when I stood in this doorway of that abandoned factory. And I saw a car coming down the hill. And the reality of that came when I saw the white star on its hood and not the swastika. There were two men in that car. One jumped out. I saw some skeletal figures uh, uh, trying to, to get some water from a hand pump. But over on the other side, uh, uh, leaning uh, next to the end, against the wall, next to the entrance of the building, I saw a girl standing, and, and I decided to go walk up to her. I remember that aura of, of that awe, of, of, of the disbelief in daylight, to really see someone who fought for our freedom, for my ideals, and. Uh, he looked like, like God to me. And I asked her in German and in English whether she spoke either language, and she answered me in, in German. And I, uh, I knew what I had to say. And I said to him, we are Jewish, you know. For a very long time, at least to me it seemed very long, but he didn't answer me. And then his own voice betrayed his emotion. He was wearing dark glasses, I couldn't see his eyes. 
He said, so am I. I asked uh, about her companions. He said, may I see the other ladies? A form of address we hadn't heard for six years. I told him most of the girls were inside, they were too ill to walk. And he said to me, won't you come with me? I didn't know what he meant. So he, he held the door open for me and let me precede him. And that was the moment of restoration of, of humanity, of humaneness, of dignity, of freedom. She said when he, she saw that uh, jeep coming up the hill and, and two men dropped and jumped out, he looked like a god to her. He looked like Christ to her. He looked like the Messiah to her. She didn't use those words, but he was Messiah-like, was he not? He was Christ-like in the way he addressed them. She said he addressed us as ladies, an address that we hadn't heard in six years. Then he held the door for me. And that's when she felt a restoration of her dignity, of her humanity, of all that was good. Just a, a simple gesture of opening the door. Number one, ladies, do you, do you hope we have more men like that? Do you hope we have more men that uh, really look out and protect and love women like we should? And I hope we have more women like Gerda who's strong, they are now uh, uh, oaks of righteousness. God's using them. Kurt Klein was a Jew who immigrated to the United States in 1937 from Germany at age 17. He was 17 when he came to America. Then the war broke out, and in 1942, he joined the U.S. Army and went back to fight for his people. His, his parents were killed in Auschwitz and went back into the war. And that's where I want to lead us today is that God does these things in our life. He is the anointed one. We are not the anointed one. Kurt Klein is not the Messiah. He was Messiah-like. He was Christ-like in the way he responded to those ladies. But he is not the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And he comes to call us out of captivity. He calls us out of these binding places, these places of darkness, these places of poverty. He calls us out of those places. And then he makes us over. Then he restores us and brings us back to life and he gives us an oil of joy instead of mourning. He does this makeover and then he sets us up as oaks of righteousness. He sets us up to display his glory. But then look what he does in the last movement here in verse 4. So the first, three, the first four movements is all about what the Messiah has done for us, right? All that, that Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, all that he's worked in our lives. And then in this final verse, he says, now in response to that, this is what the people are going to do. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that they have been, that have been devastated for generations. He says, now that these people, I've worked in their life, I've done something in their life, now they're going to turn around out of that gratitude, out of what God has done in their life, now they're going to turn around, they're going to be 
Christ-like people. They're going to be Messiah-like people, and they're going to be bringing renewal to everywhere they go. That they are called now to bring renewal. Now, this was, this was literally fulfilled in 538 as people under King Cyrus went back to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple. They brought life back to the city. They brought hope back to people. It was literally fulfilled there. But guess what? It can be fulfilled through you in our day. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God could use you to bring restoration to a school if you're a teacher or you're an administrator? Do you believe that God could literally bring you into a school to bring life to that school and to bring hope to the next generation of kids and to raise up a whole next generation? Do you believe that God could use you to bring hope and, and transformation to your family? Maybe to your immediate family as, as a leader in the family, but also maybe your extended family that God would use you to bring restoration and renewal to your, to your family. Do you think God would do that? you think God could use you to bring restoration to your neighborhood or to your business or to your workplace? That God is using a lot of people in our, in our congregation to bring renewal to their business. And they've taken on that mantle. They realize, hey, I'm here to make money. I'm here to make a living. I'm here to do a job. Here to do all of those things. But now God has called me also in the midst of that, not only to make money, but to bring life and hope to the people around me. Do you think God could do that in your life? You see, that's what we're about here at Clear Fork Community Church. It, that's why we're gathering is to say God could use a, a handful of people to bring renewal to an entire city, that God could use you to bring hope to our city and to hope to the people around you. And I want to say to the, the next generation of leaders, I, I had them all stand up a couple of weeks ago, and I said, I'll never hear of that again, I'll never hear about that, I'll, I'll never live that down, right? But I want to speak to the young people here. If you're single or not single, but if you're young, do you believe that God could use you to bring the next generation of people, bring hope back to your generation? Do you believe that we, we need renewal, we need revival in our nation? You know how that usually happens? Through young people who say, hey, I, whatever it takes, I'm, I'm in. God, would you use me to bring hope to my generation? Because there's a lot of hopelessness out there. So you can either join into that and say, hey, everything's going to hell in a handbasket, all, all our nation's going to hell in a handbasket, or you can stand up and say, not on my watch, I, I'm going to do everything I can to bring hope and healing to the people around me. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. He says, I'm going to do this in you so that you will go out and do it in the lives of other people, that you would bring restoration and renewal to the people around you. So this, this sermon could have a threefold application in your life this morning. It could apply right now to your current situation. And you're saying, yes, I, I believe God's called me to do that in my business or in my city or in my neighborhood or in my generation. I believe that that's what he's called us to do. Also could be just looking forward to Christmas and realizing what Christ did for you, that he didn't stay in heaven in a perfect place. He came down lived as a man and gave his life for you and for me to bring hope to the world. It's just a further understanding of what Christmas is all about. And I hope that it also brings a renewal of hope that this isn't the way it's going to always be. That one day Christ is coming back again and he's going to set all things in order as it should be. 
So I want to ask you this morning to pray with me. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. And I want to just lead us through this scripture. And I just want to ask you, number one, do you believe that the Lord is the anointed one? He is the Messiah. It was written about 700 years ago with Isaiah and fulfilled that in his first coming. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. And he came to proclaim good news to the poor, to those who are living in poverty. He said, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, freedom for captives, to lead you out of darkness. So right now, I just want to ask you, everybody's head bowed and eyes closed. And if, you're, if you're in poverty this morning, most likely not physical poverty, but emotional poverty, or if you're in darkness or you're held captive, living with depression, living with anxiety, overwhelming anxiety, things that are holding you captive, I just want to pray for you. No one's looking around, but if, you, if you're living in a place where you are desperate for the Lord to do a work in your life, would you simply raise your hand? Okay. Anyone else? God, I need you to do, I need you to do a work in my life. Okay. God, I'm in a place of darkness. I'm in a place of captivity. I'm, I'm in a place that I need you. Anybody else? So, Father, we're coming, and those that have just acknowledged that they need you. That's why you came. That's the whole purpose of of the Christian Christian hope. God, I pray right now that you would bring good news to those who are living right now in, in, in poverty of spirit. I pray that you'd bind up any brokenness. That you would free people that are held captive. Bring them out of darkness. Uh, They would sense the year that 2024 would be a year of your favor on their life, that the rest of their life ultimately in Christ is a, a year of the Lord's favor. But I pray that 2024 would be a time in which you bring great joy. I'm going to pray for us and pray for those who raised their hand this morning. God, would you bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes? Would you outfit them with the oil of joy instead of mourning? And give them a garment of praise, a a garment of joy instead of a spirit of despair. Would you pray that for yourself right now? God, I just, that's what I need. I'm asking you to do that in my life. Would you just be patient and let him do his work? And if God has done that in your life, would you be willing to stand up and say, hey, God God has made me an oak of righteousness. Would you allow him to bring glory to himself through your life? Continue to let him do that in you. And then finally, to all of us as a church body, 
the purpose of why God does that in your life is that you would turn around and do that in the lives of others. So would you just commit yourself to say, hey, God, would you use me? God, would you use us to bring hope and healing to the people around us, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our city, to our business, and to this next generation? Would you believe God for that? So God, we dedicate ourselves to allow you to use us in whatever way you see fit. God, we thank you for the joy that you bring us. God, I pray that you would bring an overwhelming joy in the lives of, of our church body. You bring overwhelming joy as we enter into the final week of Christmas that we would truly step into that and enjoy that and enjoy with people and bring hope to people around us. And God, in 2024, as you prepare us for what you have for us, we trust you. Continue to do your work in us. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Clearfork Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, head to clearforkchurch.org. Take heart, Fort Worth. He has overcome the world. We hope to see you soon.